0: I know that what I do is incredibly valuable to my people, so why do I have to keep getting reminded of it? Why don't I elevate the individuals who I get to serve? That's a picture, I dare I say, of humility. Hello, my friend, and welcome to this installment of A Call to Leadership as we do these solo episodes every Friday on a different area of leadership. Now we're covering servant leadership in this inaugural set of episodes, and this one I am so excited about, an episode on humility. What is humility? Does it really make sense for leaders to walk in humility, and where does it fit? in how we pursue excellence in ourselves and in others as we aim for greatness and leadership? It's a great question because I think we can confuse what humility looks like and how it manifests and how we can actually use it to strengthen our resolve and our opportunities in the marketplace and in families, in commerce, in communities as we lead So let's just start with the breakdown of humility. You know, we tend to think humility is thinking less of yourself. Now, it's not. It can be considered thinking of yourself less often. In fact, there's a quote from C.S. Lewis that people tend to misquote, and it's this. It's, humility isn't thinking of yourself less. It's thinking of yourself less often. And it's a nice quote. But it doesn't really capture the full breadth of what C.S. Lewis, the author, the author who wrote The Chronicles of Narnia and The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. You may have heard of those books or read those books or watched the movies. Well, he was an educator in England many years ago and also a writer on different aspects of leadership and religious writings as well. And of course, fiction. And so C.S. Lewis said this. As I'm paraphrasing, the humble person isn't thinking about humility. The humble person isn't thinking about him or herself at all. So the humble person is taking themselves out of the equation. And it's interesting to think about that because it, the opposite of humility can be considered arrogance, pride haughtiness. It's really thinking of yourself for self-preservation, putting yourself first, of course. Now I walked in arrogance for a long time, friend. When I was growing up, the younger years, all the way into my 20s, and I would say in some respects, as I even creeped into my 30s. And I would thought I was hot stuff. And I thought that, you know, I can think clearly. I can do business well, at least what I thought I could do business well. I thought I was great with the ladies before my wife, of course. And uh, I was fun to be around, had cool cars. All of that really was vanity. And I was glorifying myself through vanity. In fact, vainglory is a term that is used very loosely to describe the old King David, who ruled Israel many, many, many years ago. And when he numbered the people in the kingdom, it was considered vainglory because he was numbering his people. And the truth is they were really never his people. Those people don't belong to you. In fact, your rulership is really serving over them. You, at least your stewardship belongs to them. And so the breakdown of vainglory, I broke this phrase down. So vanity is that which has no real meaning or value. And glory is praise, honor, and distinction. So when we put them together, vainglory is praise, honor, and distinction, which has no real meaning or value. And that really kind of hits you hard, right? It's like, wow, how much vanity do we have? How much arrogance, how much haughtiness, how much pride wells up? You say, well, pride's not always a bad thing, right? Because you can be proud of your kids, be proud of your nation, you can be proud of your grades. That's not necessarily the kind of pride that we're talking about here. The kind of pride we're talking about is the kind of pride that elevates yourself above others. And as leaders, especially as servant leaders, we're not to elevate ourselves above others. We're to elevate with others. That's a clear distinction. So when we're talking about humility, we're talking about this opposite of elevated self above others. We're talking about elevation of self-preservation. It's not about us. It's not about our selfies, if you will. Did you know that there were 90 million selfies a day last year? I believe that was the, it might even be more now, 24 billion in the last year, if not more. That's crazy, right? So this is an inflated sense of our own importance, not necessarily that you're taking a selfie, but when you're so focused on you, so focused on you, and believe me, I was so focused on me. I wanted to be the center of attention. I wanted to have everyone's accolades. I wanted to have, be liked by everyone. And I think just for me, It was born out of insecurity, my own arrogance, the lack of humility, my own pride and haughtiness, my own inflated sense of my own importance, this deep need for excessive attention, admiration, even a lack of empathy for others. It was born out of me trying to protect myself because I didn't have the esteem. I actually, I had something to prove. And so the flip side of that is the humble person really doesn't have anything to prove. There's no threat there where I have to feel like I have to earn someone's love, earn someone's respect, earn someone's kindness. Now you say, well, respect is earned. But the point is, is that for what purpose? So that I could feel good about myself? So that I could raise up? No, because we're going to be chasing that till the last day of our life if that's our trajectory the truly humble person is not thinking about how to have others lift them up the truly humble person is not considering how i can reduce my fear my insecurity myself pain my true humility is that i cannot really even be offended because i know my value i have nothing to prove do you know your value today do you know your value because you're so valuable that you have nothing to prove so there's no reason why you have to be arrogant and prideful and show off now you say well how what does that mean if i'm a performer well this is your job to perform right say for example if you're an artist this is A completely different conversation than the conversation around whether or not I walk in humility. Now, if you perform amazingly and you win an award, right? The arrogant person is going to say, yeah, I deserve this award all day. You didn't deserve it. All you losers, all you haters, you know why I won this award is because I am far better than all of you. That's arrogance, right? Interestingly, the old proverb says that haughtiness comes before the fall and uh, arrogance, pride before destruction. So, there's real danger in being too prideful. And so, when you're thinking about humility, we're thinking about, I worked very hard and diligently on this series, this performance. I'm so thankful to receive this award. I'm so thankful for you believing in me. And the fact that I won this award further just allows me to want to serve you even more and give you the best of me. That's a much different conversation. It's a much different acceptance speech, right? Because it's focusing on who? It's focusing on who you get to serve. And that's really one of the big differences between the humble person and the arrogant person. Now, how does this play out in the workplace? You say, well... If I walk in too much humility in the workplace, then nobody will do the work because my humility will be considered weakness. And that's the furthest thing from the truth. In fact, you can blend humility and resolve in a workplace. In fact, it was Jim Collins, the uh, educator and author in one of his books, I believe it was Good to Great. Excellent. Good to Great, Great by Choice, How the Mighty Fall. All of those books are excellent case studies, and I recommend a read of those, at least reading the Cliffs Notes, if you will, or the summaries of those books on organizational leadership. And Collins says he identifies what he calls a level five leader. And a level five leader, he says, is one who has a combination of both professional will and personal humility. So, this fierce resolve professionally and this deep personal humility to not focus on just their own needs, but to focus on the needs of the collective and using their fierce will, their fierce resolve to propel the group forward so that what is focused on, what is illuminated is the mission, the worthy cause that everyone partakes in. And so then as somebody that walks in humility, you give credit to everyone on the team who has helped to contribute to that very big win. This also plays out in the workplace when we're talking about our customers. I love the mindset that we are not the heroes in the story we create for our customers and for our employees, we're guides. They're the heroes. As we create a model for our customers, we make our customer the hero of the story. And we simply act as guides, helping them along their journey to a better future state. So for example, if you have a business and you think, how can I help my customer to accomplish their desired end state? And in my leadership development program, I have these amazing people who are part of my leadership group. And this last retreat we had, I wanted them to be the hero of this story. So what did I do? I asked each of their loved ones to share about the leadership they observed in their Spouses and their children and different individuals who are part of my group. And as I do this, I take these and I put them all into a beautiful collage of videos and I present them to each group member together in the collective retreat. And as these spouses and parents are sharing how important the leadership is, why the leadership matters of my group members and encouragement for their leadership, the emotion and just like wind beneath their sails just begins to well up as they understand and they reflect on just how important they are to these individuals and they became the hero of the story that i was helping them to tell in that moment it wasn't about nate sala it was about each individual group member it wasn't, oh, wow, Nate Solly, you're so amazing because you have super cool experiences in your mastermind leadership group. No, it's the individual who I get to serve is so amazing and I want to elevate them and I want to put a spotlight on how they are the hero of the story. I begin to dissolve, if you will. I begin to delete myself I begin to fade away and they begin to rise that's a picture of walking in a way that eliminates me from the equation and because I know that what I do is incredibly valuable to my people so why do I have to keep getting reminded of it why don't I elevate the individuals who I get to serve that's a picture I dare I say of humility because as you say I'm humble it like detracts from humility right you can't say like I'm the most humble person in the room like there's no way you can even say that because it's not even about you right in fact I love how Rick Warren starts his book Purpose Driven Life the first sentence is it's not about you and so that's a bit of humility now how does that play out in other spheres how does that play out say in personal life well maybe you're really good at something. For example, when I was younger, I was getting faster and faster and faster in triathlon. And I was getting kind of like, oh, wow, maybe I can uh, win first in my age group at some point because I was getting quicker and quicker. And there's nothing wrong with desiring to give your best. In fact, that's aiming for greatness, really. And What happens is you begin to think, ah, I'm pretty hot stuff, right? And at some point, maybe you don't have that anymore. I was preparing for an Ironman, and I hadn't done a full iron yet. I had done a 70.3, which is really a half iron. And I was preparing for the full iron. I was getting faster and faster and stronger, and my endurance was increasing. And one day I was at the office and I was moving some furniture around and I picked up a copy machine and I just twisted and turned it and put it on another desk. Well, I was fine that day. I woke up the next morning and I was in excruciating pain. I mean, muscle spasms and like just an hour of just tears on the floor could not move. My wife handed me an Advil, which subsided the pain and... I thought, oh, that was crazy. So then I went to the gym to go swimming and I couldn't take a few strokes without just being in major pain. And I tried to go for a short jog. Couldn't do that either. Tried to get on my bike. Couldn't do that either. Turns out I had herniated two discs in my lower back. So those were bulging. I had basically bulged two discs and uh, that was bad. It was super painful and it took years of rehab to strengthen my core around my spine. And so mostly triathlon, swimming, biking, and running, it's not really core workout. I mean, there's some core, but it's not focused. And so I wasn't really working my core. And so my core was really, really weak. And so I couldn't do what I was loving to do. And I started feeling sorry for myself. So I started hanging out with two great friends, pizza rolls and Doritos. And I started just sitting on the sofa. for I said, basically sat on the sofa for two years feeling sorry for myself. And it was partly because... Now, there's nothing wrong with having some grief because you are in pain or you're unable to achieve something that you desire to. But for me, it was a little different. It was, man, I was devoting so much time to it and I... In fact, I got one of my trophies I got. I should have saw the writing on the wall. One of my first trophies I received, my son, he was so little at the time, he accidentally broke my trophy. And I was so proud of that trophy. And I was thinking, wow, maybe you're just getting too prideful and arrogant and that's just the way things are supposed to go for you. But what it did was it helped me to refocus because I was so focused on me. I was so focused on my goals. I was so focused on my achievements and my accolades and my abilities. And I was missing what really mattered was bringing others along the way with me. And even my own family, I was not devoting time to them. I was just spending time getting faster and faster and faster. And I couldn't be fast anymore. So it was just a time to learn about, wow, you know, if you could just walk in humility instead of arrogance and self-preservation, self-reliance and bring others along the journey with you. So that's when actually I started working on my PhD and through my program, I learned all about servant leadership. And so had that fall not happened, right? Remember we said the haughtiness before the fall, probably before destruction, And had that fall not happened, I likely would not have pursued the PhD. I wouldn't have devoted more and more time to triathlon. And I wouldn't have learned about servant leadership. I wouldn't have spent all those years studying and researching and preparing to be a part of this program and this show. So none of that would have happened. And I wouldn't be sitting here today with you talking through what it means to reduce that inflated sense of my own importance and a deep need for excessive attention, excessive admiration. I mean, I would even say, you know, it's borderline, you know, I don't want to throw the word narcissist around, but certainly you've heard about this concept or construct of narcissism, which is really, it's a mental condition, which people do have an inflated sense of their own importance. People do have this overwhelming excessive attention need and admiration they have troubled relationships lack of empathy for others these are all hallmarks of narcissism and it's in some ways it is really the antithesis of humility so if we're in a position to where we're embracing humility we're embracing again not thinking less of ourselves not thinking of ourselves less often not even thinking about ourselves You say, well, don't you have to eat? Don't you have to think about yourself, Nate? Is that even practical? Yes, it is practical. It doesn't mean that you forget you exist. It just means that you forget that you are supposed to be on the pedestal. You're not. I'm not. And as soon as we begin to do that, we begin to reduce the barriers we have with people because we are not just out for ourselves. We're out to support. We're out to build others up. We're out to help guide. And guess what happens along that pathway? We get nourished too. Now you say, well, you could be a total doormat, walk in total humility, and you could lose everything because you are being taken advantage of. And that is true. That's why, and I like the way Jim Collins puts this, because that resolve, that will is married to the humility. They work in tandem. They work together. So don't be a doormat. Don't let people walk all over you. Because really, that's not serving others by you getting trampled. Right, Because if you're going to lead effectively, if you're going to aim for greatness and leadership and serving others, you better have some values. You better have some core values that are non-negotiable. And one of them should be integrity on some levels. And integrity, having clarity, having conviction, having vulnerability, having accountability, having generosity, being a person who desires to grow And give. I mean, those are some of my core values. And if you haven't dialed those in, we're going to have some episodes just on how to construct a set of values which guide you to what is acceptable and what is unacceptable. Because once your values are driven in, then humility becomes even easier. Because I know who I am. I'm not threatened. I have nothing to prove. So can you be offended? Anyone can press your buttons. I'm working on actually not being offended because if I cannot be offended, that means that I am truly not threatened and it's not easy to execute, especially doesn't happen to me very often, but I've heard that road rage can get to some people who I know and all it takes is somebody cutting you off and you're like, ah! right? Because they've offended you, because then it's about me. When somebody cuts me off or maybe slows down, I think, okay, well, did they even see me? Maybe not. Maybe there's something happening in their car. Maybe there's a bee that got into it. Something, I I just think about everything that could have gone wrong in their lives. And then I express a little bit of empathy for any possible scenario. You say, well, Nate, what if they were just being jerks? What if, what if, who cares? I don't care, you could be a jerk. If I find out that you're being a jerk, which is really almost impossible in a car situation, I'm not gonna make the assumption that you're being a jerk, but because it doesn't help me at all. All it does is I get angry, I get my buttons pressed, I am not in a great mood. I mean, I'm not gonna let anyone control my behavior in that way, especially on an assumption. And, and if I find out that someone is a jerk, it's super simple. Like They've got the problem. All I have to do is put a boundary and a border up. If I don't want to deal with that, I'll just walk away. Not be a part of that person's life. Or if someone is being a jerk who I care about, I'll ask them, what's going on? Why are you being a jerk? I mean, it is that simple. But it takes walking in humility, I think, to begin to embrace that I'm not going to feel threatened by others because it's not even about me one of these days i'll be gone and i know that because my time is short here i'm gonna make the most out of it and i hope you do too so as we move forward i hope you've learned a thing or two about humility i've so enjoyed our time together i can't wait to do it again as we close this series on Servant Leadership with our next episode in just one week. Well, my friend, we did it. I'm so honored you were able to join me on this episode of A Call to Leadership. Now, this might not be for everyone because you really have to be in a certain place in order to take the kind of steps to level up your leadership. And I want you to be taking steps. And for those of you who feel like you're ready for something like this, there's a place you can go you can go to our website, greatsummit.com. I'll make sure that's in the show notes, but here's the cool thing that we have. We've got a masterclass. We have all different kinds of events. We even have our leadership club where you can meet other people just like you to go deeper in your leadership journey. You and I will get to spend some time together and really focus on aiming for greatness. I can't wait to see you there. I'm Dr. Nate Sala, and this is A Call to Leadership.